have you here this morning. Welcome. It's good to have you. My name's Carl. I'm one of the pastors here. How are we doing today? Come on now. I said, how are we doing today? It's more like it back there. Good to see Jerry and Ted can back from, and they toured the entire world. If you want to see what the world's like, talk to them. They'll tell you all about it. It's good to have everyone back here today. And what a joy it is for me to have one of the coolest dudes going. Dr. Jim Coakley, everybody. Now, I need to let you know something. You get to see it here first. Dr. Jim has a, really, one of his life goals here has been to write this book, and he's done a great job, 14 Fresh Ways to Enjoy the Bible. This is a phenomenal work. It's already being highly acclaimed, and it is going like hotcakes off the shelves. It really is. This is really sweet what God's doing. But I just want to tell you what a privilege it is to have a man like Jim Coakley here who's not only committed his life to helping people understand and apply the Word of God, but he lives it. How about them apples, he guys? He lives it. All right, what's your goal with this book, my man? I just want people to have fun reading the Bible. That's simple. What's been the biggest surprise writing this book for you personally? Well, it actually came uh, when we were doing a series on Daniel. I've been studying these techniques for a number of years, and when we were going through the book of a series on Daniel here at the church, I said, well, I want to see if they all will show up in Daniel, and sure enough, they all showed up in Daniel. So I wrote an extra chapter just about Daniel and how the techniques that I talk about are all present right there in that one book. It's really cool, 180. One of the dedications in the front of this book is to 180 Chicago Church. How about them apples? Pretty sweet. Tell me something, Jim. What's the most overlooked discipline of these 14 that we, if we took hold of it today, it would change everything? Well, I think uh, just paying attention to when people speak in the Bible, uh, the characters speak. I call it step up to the mic. Here I am stepping up to the mic. You're hearing my own words up from my own voice. And so when the Bible authors give you a chance to hear a character in the story by putting quotation marks around it, Pay attention to that because that also reveals that character's heart and you get to see what motivates them. And that really engages me to kind of say, well, these are real people and I get to see what, what the, really they're passionate about. And oftentimes, and here's the key theme, the theme of the passage is on the lips of one of the characters. That's so good. I want, uh, I want to say something that you don't even know. Dr. Michael Rydelnik has been talking behind your back again. And he's been bragging about this book. You did a good job with it, Jim. I've read it cover to cover. It's a dynamite read, guys. It's super compelling. And today we got something really cool um, below what you could go grab this for out at Amazon or anything, and it's available there. Jim is going to do a book signing right back at that table today. Right on. Thank you, Jim. Give him a hand, guys. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. I got another big announcement before I jump into the word. I have a new executive assistant. Her name is Lori. Lori, stand up and wave at everyone, would you? Right there. And all I can say to that is please pray for Lori as you can only imagine. Let me pray before I bust into the word today. Let's bow our heads and hearts. Father, thank you for your love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Anyone else grateful for that? And Lord, we praise you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that you have a plan for us that is incredible. 
God, I'm so fired up about today's word. I'm going to need to keep fleet feet here, God, so keep me prompted by the power of your Holy Spirit. Give me the words that you want me to say. Help me to pitch what is not necessary. And God, we just move forward to your glory today. In Jesus' name, amen. Two weeks ago, I said that our God, and please listen fast today, people. I said our God is not a God of scarcity. He's a God of abundance. Adam and Eve were told, be fruitful and multiply. Abraham, I have a legacy for you, God said, that is more than the stars in the sky. Moses was said, go into a land flowing with milk and honey. God ultimately guided Joshua by his word so that he would be successful and prosperous as he went into this new land. The book of Psalms begins with being the word of God. Don't let this thing leave you. Meditate on it day and night so that your leaf will not wither and in all that you do you prosper. Mark 4, in the four soils, we find this teaching of Jesus that there are seeds that fall on hard hearts and Satan snatches those away. There are seeds that fall on hearts that give a little bit of fertilization to that seed and it grows up but it has no sustaining power and so it falls. And then there is another heart condition even in this room today that the word of God planted in it. It grows but the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things Choke it out, making it unfruitful. But the fourth soil type, the heart type that God would have us have, multiplies 30, 60, or 100-fold. In John 11, Jesus said, Unless a kernel of grain or wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And then my favorite passage, John 15 it is to God's glory that you bear much fruit, showing to be a disciple of Christ. R.C. Sproul said this, If you can't see the God of the Scriptures as a God of abundance, you're blind to the Scriptures. And God's abundance is so much more than what we see as wealth in Western terms. I like Jerry's Tesla. I've told Jerry, take good care of my Tesla because when you sell it as a used Tesla, I'm going to buy my Tesla once and for all. <laughs> but God's abundance is so much more than the Tesla that I'd like to have one day or the 401k. It's so much more than Western terms. How do we know this is true? If it was about the things that we can collect here on earth, there would be a lot more happy Americans. We're rich. It is the richness of a soul that smiles when the world is waging war, when, when failing economies are all around us, and when leaders and the people of nations are wringing their hands. It's God's abundance that rises above this everyday life that we live in. It's more than monetary gain. It's more than the retirement that we can have. It's more than the luxuries that we have. What is it? God's abundance 
that's clear from beginning to end of scriptures for all people. For the poor widow who gave everything that she had out of her poverty she gave to the wealthy stock trader. It's for all of us. Who takes hold of God's promises of abundance? That's really the question. And scripture is clear. It is for the faithful. Oikonomia is a great Greek word. Oikonomia is a phenomenal Greek word. It is the word where we get our English word economy. But more clearly defined, it means all throughout the New Testament stewardship or administration. And it's used to describe management of household affairs. Stewardship is the topic I want to hit this morning. Stewardship is something that is unseen. I don't know how well you are stewarding your life. I can see some of that when you're starting to use your gifting in a way that God wants you to use your gifting. That will bubble up. It will come up out of you. But there's so many areas of our life that we can be squandering and no one around us knows it except ourselves. What is stewardship? It's found everywhere in the scriptures. The apostle Paul was called to be a steward of the gospel. But a definition of stewardship is this. To steward is to be a person who manages another's property or financial affairs, who administers anything as the agent of another or others. Jesus tells us in parable after parable that we are called to be stewards of what he's given us and stewards of what he desires to give us. Now I want you to look around in this auditorium and those of you that are watching online and welcome to 180 Homes and even friends in South Africa. And let me just say this, Jenna, we know that you went through a surgery this week and we are cheering for you, aren't we, church family? But here's the real question, and that is what are we stewards of and why has God given us stewardship as something to be faithful with? Well, Jesus tells a story in Matthew 25. It's the longest parable that he tells. The longest one. And I'm going to give you a whole thing today. And if you like Scripture, we're going to be in three separate chunks of central passages of Scripture. But Jesus tells a story that has eternal consequences coupled with earthly evidence. Now, I don't even want you to start reading this yet. Look at me here a second. This story that we're about to read, let me be really clear about this. Jesus is describing earth in the kingdom, life in the kingdom. Life in the kingdom, not only on earth, but also what's going to happen in eternity. Who's going, who's not going. I want to be really clear with the text here because it's easy to get away from what in the world was being said and why and then make a leap and we miss huge, vast chunks of this thing. So the kingdom of God both how we live and where it leads is described here. And this can be really unnerving. Look at what Jesus says. 
For the kingdom of God, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To the one he gave five talents, to the other, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you have delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had the two talents come forward, saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. That's the key word here. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming should have received what was my own with interest at least. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken from him. I don't have verse 30 up here, but it goes on to say, depart from me into utter darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now let me clarify a few things with this passage because it has been wholly distorted. First off, it's an unfortunate parallel that what we call talents today is somehow what we think is being spoken of. This is not about singing, dancing, juggling, flying, or any of that stuff. It's not about Jim's ability to write a book. It's not about talents as we see it. Jesus is using a word that was used as a measurement of great worth. Talent is a measure of weight, and it would have been a weight in gold or silver. In the Hebrew, a talent actually weighed something than in the Greek kind of code of measurement. In the Hebrew, 34.272 kilograms, sometimes referred to as a loaf, was a talent. 75.6 pounds for us in America who are too stubborn to go metric. There you go. 
In the Greek world, it would have been 40 kilograms or 88 pounds. Now, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, the one guy that got one talent. No, don't go there. One talent of what would have been issued even in silver would have been 20 years wages for an average working guy. Translated today, about four hundred dollars to $500,000 would have been handed to him. That's a talent. Talents are the grace and mercy of God in this storyline. This is not about the kind of gifting that you have primarily. I'll get to this in just a moment. But it's all the totality of the grace and gifting of God that he's poured out into our lives. And they manifest themselves in different ways. We have time that we're stewards of. We have gifts and, yes, talents that we have. And we have treasure and money and those kind of things that are resources that we have and anything else that we've been entrusted to steward. Even a good legacy that you've been given, a mom and dad that loved you well, is something that you're called to steward and pass on to others. It's a pretty powerful thing. Jesus tells this story that has eternal consequences coupled with earthly evidence. And this is what I want to be really clear about with this story, and I hadn't scripted this, but let me pour out my heart to you here for a moment. One of the greatest assurances of salvation that we have is never that we reach perfection, but that we have a heart, according to the story that Jesus tells, that we have a heart to steward what has been given to us, to watch it multiplied. See, one of the great dangers is that oftentimes many people have a lot of things that have been given to them because of a mentality of scarcity. We try to hold on to things. We're afraid to let go. Sometimes the reason people can't part with money is that they find themselves feeling like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what's going to happen. There's a disconnect between the God of all things who holds the cattle on a thousand hills and whether or not he can provide in our everyday life. And that lack of belief or faith in God causes us to be more constrictive or have a scarcity mentality. And we're going to get really honest here today about how to even get freed from this. And this is what I want to do with this story that Jesus gave. Because no matter where you are today, I want you to know God's called you to be a faithful steward and to invest what he's given you in totality, the wheels that you have, the resources that you have, the spiritual gifts that you have, the legacy that you've been given, and to live open-heartedly and open-handedly with this thing and not a mentality of scarcity. So what's the issue? The one thing that kept the man with a talent from abundance and cost him dearly was one word. You ready for it? It's fear. He was afraid. Now, when you look at that, you got to say, well, hold it. What's going on here? Carl, is it, is it okay to be afraid? Hear me now. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So there's different kinds of fear, but that fear that never sees God as holy and providing and good creates a scarcity mentality. 
Let me give it to you with this little statement. If fear keeps you from being a fruitful steward, dealing with your fear is an important success strategy. I want to tell you today, and now I'm going to kind of get off the page here because I just got to pour out my heart. The most abundant living people that I know including my 95-year-old dad, who I wished a happy birthday, and he's starting to fail, and I may get a call any day now. The most abundant living people that I know have an incredible joy and a generous spirit and a generous attitude, and stuff doesn't stick to them. Why? Because they have this fear issue resolved. They have great confidence in God confidence in God helps us get liberated from scarcity mentality fear is the linchpin issue that will either keep us quite stingy or living with radical liberty now I want to take one thing off the table right now this is not a message on offerings at 180 Chicago. It's not what it's about at all. This is a message about you living free with the stuff that you have. This is about your joy not rising and falling based on material wealth, based on how well you're being recognized in this world, whether you're being utilized, whether or not you threw some of your gifting out there and it didn't get seen. This is about you being so free in Jesus that stuff doesn't stick to you. So if fear keeps you from being a fruitful steward, dealing with your fear seems to be an important thing. I don't want you to go to the scripture yet. I just want to ask you this. Have you heard the scripture, perfect love casts out fear? Just want to see how many, just give me some hands in the air. Okay, we've seen that. I want to take you to the passage of scripture that has that, because here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to give you the punchline right now. Your fear can be eradicated today not because you become fearless. I've seen all the videos. Not because you've decided, I'm going to become a person I'm not so fearful. That will not sustain. Your ability to be a steward of all that God's given you, even a steward of your physical body and getting it in motion and all that, is connected to something extraordinary. And I promise you this morning, if you take to heart this issue that fear is the linchpin thing that causes you to either hear from God, well done, my good and faithful servant, or you missed opportunities galore. If you want fear dealt with so that you can now have total assurance of salvation because you're hearing the whispers of well done, my good and faithful servant while you're here, and you will then... I'm going to give you the scripture that is the answer for this thing. 1 John chapter 4, verses 15 through 21. 
Whoever confesses, this is the Apostle John. Remember this now. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Church history, Tertullian says that John was actually the only apostle that didn't die a martyr's death. Tertullian said he was boiled in oil, survived it, went to the island of Patmos and received the book of Revelation. That John. So look at what it says here. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. Now this will all make perfect sense, but follow it as we watch, walk through this together. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. See that proximity? Verse 16. So we know we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in his love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Notice something here? Scripture interprets Scripture. No way, shape, or form. John didn't know because he was there when Jesus gave this parable. There was a definite fear of eternity. Now what does he say here? Verse 17, but this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because he as is so also we are in this world. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected by love. You know what caused this man to have a scarcity mindset with the one talent? He, had a, he did not know the love of God. It's the bottom line. He didn't understand the scope of God's love. Verse 19, we love, this is John speaking. This isn't speaking of God. He says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Where do we find that? It's in the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So the acid test on whether or not fear has been stricken from our life and we're overwhelmed by the power of love and we can be good stewards of God's stuff is are we loving other people well? If anyone says, I love God, I'm still in verse 20, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I've got three observations about fear that come right out of 1 John that are super important. The first one is this. The answer for your fear isn't more faith. It's not. There's a lot of people that worship faith and not the Christ who gave us faith. You know what I see in some denominations, and I've got some friends that were like this? They say, we, we just got to have more faith. You got to have more faith. Well, that doesn't even jive with what Jesus said. He said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, it can move a mountain. And I'm going to say something that I was told 
many, many, many years ago, and it stuck with me. It's not the amount of our faith that saves anyone. It is the object of our faith that saves us. You scraped together all the faith you had. And some of you in this room this morning, and some of you online right now, you say to me, if you were honest with yourself, I'm in a season where I don't have much faith, Pastor. Okay. You scraped together all the faith that you got. I don't care how much it is. I remember when I used to snort cocaine. And you know what? When we'd run out of coke in the vial, we'd start scraping the mirror to scrape up all we could have. A crude example, but a pretty powerful one. God doesn't need too much faith to get you lit up. He just needs all the faith you have, even if it's a, a thimbleful placed squarely in trusting Jesus. Some of you have been through hardship and heartache and, and disease and, and maladies and loss of job or finances that are on the rocks. I'm telling you today, God is not judging your stewardship based on the faith that you have, the amount of faith that you have. The only question is, in whom is your faith? That's it. I went to a healing service one time before I was born again. Do I believe God heals? Yeah, I do. Be a fool not to. I think either my wife got a bona fide miracle, which is the suspension of natural law, or just a garden variety healing, but God healed my bride. Yeah, and I'm grateful for it. There's no question about it. Does God use doctors and the like? Yeah, that guy extracted a tumor from my wife very carefully. Thanks be to God, he had a steady hand. But I went to a healing service before I was born again, and I remember feeling wigged out because there's a, there's a guy came walking down the aisle, and he looks down our aisle, and he says, somebody down here has some knee pain. And I'm like, oh, Shazam. I got a bad left knee. And I remember telling the guy standing next to me, I got a bad left knee. He said, well, then you need to put your hand in the air. And I told him, I ain't put my hand in the air. We went back and forth on that one a little bit. And he said something to me that years later I would understand to be true, and I don't even think he understood what he was saying. He said, you don't have the faith to be healed. The truth is, I had never yet put my faith in the God who could heal me. And here's the tragedy. Some of you have been radically born again and you are still now putting your faith in yourself to make it through life. Is there such thing as backslidden Christians? I heard that all the time growing up in a Baptist church. Yeah. Are there such thing as derailed disciples? Yeah. You can come to a point of absolute faith where you scrape together all your faith, get it in a pile and put it all in Jesus. But here's what I'm telling you, man. There is a constant battle to keep your faith and allegiance to Jesus singular on him. So observation number one from this passage out of 1 John, and the answer for your fear isn't more faith. Can we agree on this one? Can we agree on this one? 
It's not more faith. You don't need more faith. Just scrape together all the faith you have. And I hope this is an encouragement to you because some of you walked in here today going, I don't have much faith. Great. Scrape together what you got and give it all to God. Second thing you got to know is this. The greatest answer for your fear is more love. Now I'm going to give you the punchline. The answer for fear isn't faith. People say this all the time. Oh, I, I fear too much, so I've got to have more faith. No, you don't. Because faith can become idol worship. Now, this is some heavy-duty philosophical theology here. But if you start worshiping faith rather than the object of your faith, you've become a Pharisee. So we can't bow down to how much faith I've got. Whoa, I've got faith. No, we worship the one who called us out of darkness and into the light. And we scraped together all that little bit of faith that we got. And we put it all in him. But how do we put it in him? The greatest answer for your fear and to ultimately bear much fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold, success, prosperity in the new land, land flowing with milk and honey, all the promises of the abundance of Scripture, which are real, and they're better than Carl's used Tesla that he's getting from Jerry. All of them are real, but they are discovered when you lean into and experience the love of God. That's what First John said. When we are loved and we love him and we lean into him, amazing things happen. I'll prove it to you. Ajit and Katie have a little girl named Roshni. I love Roshni. They've got a little one in the oven too. His middle name's Josiah. They're on the right path right now, let me tell you. We do not know his first name yet. It is undisclosed. But little Roshni I love, and let me tell you what I love about little Roshni. She is a little ball of fire. She's smart as can be, but she's a little ball of fire. And when she was a little bit littler than she is right now, and she's just a little bit, I would walk up to her and I would go, Roshni, how are you doing today? And she wouldn't look at me. She'd immediately go, Mommy, and start heading toward Mom. Or she, it's the funniest thing, she didn't say daddy, she goes, Ajit, and starts walking toward Ajit. I tried to get really close to Roshni, and it's really funny because every time I'd walk into a room and she'd see me coming, she, I think she loves Uncle Carl, but she's scared to death of Uncle Carl. Don't be amening Roshni right now. That'd be really mean. So I would call out to her, and Roshni would run. Now, here's the point. Roshni would run to mom, and this is what Katie always did. Ajit, we're still working with him on it, but, that's, it's, but this is what Katie always did. I'm taking a shot at Ajit right now. Katie would always do this. Oh, Roshni, is that Uncle Carl? Is he? And she would move toward Katie experience that love and let me tell you what this has done I'm being super practical here this is 
The anatomy of a healthy earthly family is the anatomy of a healthy spiritual family. What happens is Katie has so loved Roshni so well and coached her up that she's in her ear, and this is what I hear. She says, oh, we're going to go to church today, and we're going to see Uncle Carl, and Uncle Carl's great, and all this cool stuff, and, and all that. And pretty quick, here's what's happened. The love, the raw, pure, unadulterated love that Roshni gets from her mommy and daddy actually makes her to not have a fearful scarcity mentality where she has to hang on, but now she's beginning to open up and give her life away. I'm telling you, this is big stuff. Now, some of you didn't come from a healthy, functional family, and we often say this in the church today. People that had an abusive situation, you got a hurdle to get over, but I need you to hear me today. Without respect to how your dad or your mom treated you, our God loves you immensely. Immensely. And he has a perfect love, a beautiful love. And the way for you to stop living in fear is to move toward the love of Jesus. I had a really healthy dad. He wasn't perfect, but he was a good man. And I love to tell this story because a lot of people wonder, how can a skinny 18-year-old Swedish kid with 13 dogs get from Anchorage, Alaska to Nome, Alaska? 1,100-mile dog sled race. Took me 21 days, 8 hours, 12 minutes, and 32 seconds. I called Ryan Reddington's dad this last week, by the way, the father of the kid who just won the Iditarod this year. When Ryan was just a little guy, I'd be in Ramey's home, and we'd be having coffee after a big old dog run, and I'd be bouncing Ryan on my knee, and now the kid's winning the Iditarod trail race. I'm getting old, man. So here's the deal. My dad so loved me. This is super important. Get this now. My dad so loved me and so infused his love into me that when he told me at the starting line of the Iditarod, remember the story? He stuck out his hand. He said, I want to pray with you before you go. And I wasn't even following Jesus, so praying with dad was like, oh, no, there's men all over this lake right now. If I bow my head in prayer, that's a sign of sure weakness. That's what I was thinking. But dad so loved me that when he got done praying with me, he looked at me and he said these words. Carl, there are guys been talking up a storm about how you're going to die out on this race. I know what they're saying, and I know you're hearing those words. But I need you to know, and this is what he said to me. He looked right across my sled bag. He's at the bumper of the sled. I'm standing on my runners back here. He's standing at the bumper, and he looked at me like this. He said, I need you to know something. I already bought my ticket to Nome. I'll see you when you get there. Now listen to me. I tell people this. They don't, can't even get their brain around it. It wasn't until two years after the Iditarod Trail race was done that it ever dawned on me I might not make it. It never entered my mind. Why? Because I was enabled to move to the love of a healthy, earthly father. Imperfect, but awesome. 
And I'm telling you today that this is what 1 John is saying. The answer for your fear is to move toward Jesus today. The problem in Matthew 25 was fear. And the answer isn't faith, it's love. If your problem is fear, the Holy Spirit's already doing work in your heart. You know what areas of your life are opened up. You know what areas of your life you're telling God, he gave me three talents, we're going to double that sucker up. The only people that can look at the time, talent, and treasure that they have and live with it with an open palm are those that radically know the love of Jesus. It's the only ones. And if your problem is fear, your answer is love. How do I know that? Because one day, in Mark 12, verse 28, we find these words. And one of the scribes, passage guys, here we go, here we go. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which of the commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. I love the strength word added. That's why I grabbed the Mark version. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. What's going on here? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. What's going on here? I mean, let's get practical. Love is a verb. We're moving toward God. Why? Why, why am I to do this? Let me use an illustration of boiling water. I was raised in a state that would have good water, and then sometimes... There's a little bit of a lazy creek, and there can be all kinds of funky bugs in there. And so the one thing that I learned as a young man is if you had any question about the water, any question at all, boil it. And I remember sitting down camping with Dad on a two-burner Coleman, pumping that thing up. He'd like stoke the coals to a car. That thing just going away and I got that water sitting there and it's boiling away I said how long are we going to let it boil dad he said let it boil son let it boil we got to get this thing cleaned up why boiling water because impurities go into the mist and what's left behind is drinkable baby and so I just want to put it to you like this today when your love for God and others comes to a boil the fear of being fruitful stewards of your time, talent, and treasure will evaporate.
the most fearless, richest man I've ever met in my life is about to die. He's a friend of mine. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. No knock on anyone in this room. I love y'all. But you guys can't hold a candle to the faithfulness and the stewardship of Jim Streetlemeyer. No one here can. He, for me, is one of the greatest inspirations on this earth. I met him in Johannesburg, South Africa. When I saw him walking across the parking lot, I rudely said to my wife, yeah, there's a typical missionary, duck-footed, shoes untied, shirt tail hanging out, big old wave. And then I felt like an idiot within a week going, this is one of the coolest dudes on the planet. I went down to Indianapolis recently. He's alumni of the year right now for Moody Bible Institute. I went down there, <sighs> toured with my bride there, medical, incredible medical, dental, every need that people have that are on the streets of Indy, they can come into Jim's clinic and he's always at the front door greeting them in Jesus' name. Went down to his home, looked up there on the walls, and there's those two pieces of art that he had when he was in South Africa. They kept those, and he goes, aren't they great? We've not needed any more than those. Those are just great. I'm not celebrating this, but this is what Jim says. He lived so fearless before God that when he called me and told me he's going to go, he says, you know what? You've always beat me at everything, Clausen, but I'm getting to glory before you. <laughs> ho, 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 ho. That's Jim. I called Jim a couple weeks ago. I said, how you doing? He says, I'm doing so good. I'm dying. But I'm doing so good. Would you pray for Debbie? She's really battling. He said, yeah, I will, man. I've never seen, personally, one man on this planet live and die like Jim. No one. Not even my dad. Never seen it. And I was wondering as I was walking through this message, what, what is that? What makes Jim have this almost this supernatural spiritual power? You know what it is? I want to be careful with this because it's a small world, but Jim didn't have the silver spoon in his mouth economically, emotionally, parentally. You with me here? But he took hold of the love of Christ and he's leaned into the love of Jesus like you can't believe. And all the fear, all the fear of time, talent, and treasure has evaporated. And he lives with abundance like you can't believe. He always tells me, you know, Carl, I, uh, I tell my kids this all the time. We, we minister to the poor, therefore we are poor, and I'm going to die poor, but I'm the richest man on the planet. 
I'm not asking you to go to the inner city of Indianapolis. But I am asking you this morning for a little mini turning point challenge. To let your love for God come to a boil. Do you love God? I mean, do you love God? Are you ready to run to him and go, I, I'm a little bit timid here, Mom. Let his love enfold you, and pretty quick you walk back out into that room, and you're like, all right. Fear's evaporating here because the love of God has been shown in my heart. It changes everything. I want you to bow your head with me. I want us to take a moment to do some good business with God here for just a second. Just a second. Really quiet in here. No one moving. We don't need anyone going to the doors or anything like that yet. We're going to go with plan B and go, you are worthy of it all. Just that here, guys. I just want to ask you very calmly and very sincerely here. Do you have any fear? Do you think fear is holding you back from being a great steward of what God has given you? Any concern like that at all? And the degree to which you have any concern or fear about opening up your heart, opening up your hands, walking back into the room, running a spiritual Iditarod, I need you to hear me. Fall in love with Jesus again. Come on. The church of Ephesus had left their first love. Come back. Come back. Come on, I'm going to go with you. I don't want you live, living bound by this world and wringing your hands. We're children of the king. He loved us. He gave his life up for us. And he says to you and me today, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Fear will evaporate. It'll evaporate. 